So Joe does weird things all the time, uh, like that. They're good, but they're weird. Uh, we have a staff restore once a month. We're just like the staff sits right there in a little circle, and we pray for each other. And like last month, I broke down and just like wept like a little girl in front of everybody and just like whined for a while and then sobbed. And then Joe, typically when that happens, he's going to do something weird like make someone else like grab me by the shoulders and speak truth into my eyes or something. And then this particular time, he said, this is going to be weird. So I was like, oh, man, if he, like, preloads you with this is going to be weird, it's going to be even more weird than normal. Um, and so he said, we're not going to sing a song together, but I'm going to make Josh Taylor sing a song over you. So I'm in the middle of this circle, and I'm crying and Josh is in front of me in a chair. We're both in the middle of the circle. And he's like singing a song that he wrote that like nobody's heard, but it's like exactly what I'm going through. And I'm just like crying. And you know, have you ever heard someone sing to you? It's probably weirder than actually singing to that person. Have you never had that? Like if, you were, if you're sitting there and someone's just like singing to you in your eyes, you know, you don't know, like know how to, you, you don't know if you're like, Supposed to be like, you know, like this is good or affirm it. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I said that. But just to let you know, Joe does weird stuff. Uh, but it's good weird stuff. But it was really good. It was really soothing. It was very helpful. Um, even though it was super embarrassing and awkward for everybody. Except for you. You weren't, that was an awkward for you at all. Right, it was super awkward for me. All right, Romans 10. Uh, we're going to be in Romans 10. Remember, like I told you once before, Romans 9 through 11 is a very difficult passage to unpack and walk through, specifically because Paul is answering some major questions that have been coming up in Romans, and that is, if Jesus is Messiah and He's restored all these people to Himself, and they are the new humanity that are going to accomplish His purposes on the earth and in the universe as a whole. Uh, and they're now His children, not just Jewish people, but non-Jewish people as well. well. Well, there's a couple questions that arise. What about the Jews? Have they been forgotten? Are they no longer God's people? Are they no longer the people by whom He is going to accomplish His purposes? Are, is He not going to keep His promises that He made in the Old Testament to the Jewish people? And then secondly, if Jesus is the Messiah, why do all of the Jewish people reject their own Messiah? Like, that's a major problem. Uh, and in 9 to 11, he's unpacking that this is what God is doing. Specifically, the Jews are going to reject their Messiah. And that is part of God's plan because that is what opens the door for the Gentiles. To put it this way, had the Jews not crucified Jesus, you would still be in your sins and you would have no opportunity for a relationship with God because your relationship with God comes via the crucifixion of Jesus. So if the Jews would have put a crown on his head and made him king instead of putting a crown of thorns on his head and putting him on a cross, we would be in a slightly different place. And so what Paul is unpacking is the rejection 
of the Messiah by the Jews is indeed playing into God's plan. And then the question comes up, well, then has he rejected the Jews? Are they just not his people because of what they did to the Messiah? And he's going to come back around at the end of 10 and answer that question. No, 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 no. All of these non-Jewish people who are now a part of the family of God are going to make the Jews actually quite jealous, which will be the way that the Jews are brought back in. And he'll close the entire section 9 to 11 by saying, I consigned everyone to disobedience so that I can have mercy on everyone. No one stands in the right before me, and yet I, in my mercy, extend relationship to all. Uh, 10 is really where he begins to make that transition of this is about, partly, going to make the Jews jealous, and that is why they'll come back in, because they're jealous that they used to be the people of God, and they're not the people of God really anymore, even though they are, they've not been rejected, but they're going to come back around to obedience to their Messiah. So remember that. We'll unpack that a bit more in 11. Joe is doing 11 next week. I want to zero in on verses 1 to 10 tonight. There's something really important I want to draw out of here. It's really complex. I think I can simplify it pretty well. Um, I want to read verses 1 to 10. It's very, very interesting and very, very uh, heavy and weird all at the same time. Uh, So Stephen... Don't, sorry, I hate calling attention to Stephen. Stephen, don't worry about going through the whole thing. We're just going to stop at 1 to 10 for the sake of time. Because Josh likes to do five songs and lead me at 8 o'clock. It's fine. It's good. I love worship. I love worship. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read 1 to 10 and then we'll unpack it. And we'll do this fairly quickly because I think it's, while it's complex, it's not difficult to grasp. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for them being the Jewish nation, uh, for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So that they love God and are running after God, but they're not running in the right direction. They love God, but they've rejected his Messiah. So it's not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. God's righteousness being Jesus and righteousness coming through the cross and not through works. Uh, They did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Keep in mind, those are in quotations. It's a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. I'm going too far. We were going to stop at 10. Good Lord. Stephen, you're supposed to help me out. You should have blown a whistle. Um, okay. We'll stop at 10. We'll imagine we stopped at 10. 
So this is really a weird, weird passage because Paul is using some really specific Old Testament texts. And when you read those three quotes, who will ascend into heaven and who descend into the abyss, and the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, it's supposed to draw to your mind everything that goes on in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. And most of us are not super acquainted with Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30 to where that he quotes that and then what immediately fills our mind is the story of Deuteronomy 28 to 30. Um, And I think the best way to unpack this is pretty simple. I want to unpack what goes on in Deuteronomy 28 to 30. And then we'll see immediately what Paul is saying. And then I think there's a really clear way that this applies to us, like a really clear way. So we'll get there. It'll take a moment. We will. Um... Deuteronomy 28 to 30. Deuteronomy is, the, is kind of the last statements that Moses makes before the people get to go into the promised land. Remember the story, they've come out of Egypt, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they've come to the edge of the promised land, and Moses is like stopping them and saying, okay, 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 okay. let's gather back together, let's remember what just happened this 40 years in the desert, let's remember what's about to happen when you go into the promised land, let's remember that God did this whole thing, that he's going to drive your enemies out before you, that he is your God and you are his people and he freed you from slavery in Egypt and he's kept you alive in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, let's stop, let's bring this back together, that's Deuteronomy. 28 to 30 is his last statement and this is what he says. Speaking on behalf of God, he says, I've set before you today blessings and curses, life and death. Obey me, do what I say to do, walk in the way that I've commanded you to walk, and I will bless literally everything you do. You'll have more kids. When you grow crops, they'll be better. When you raise cattle, you'll have more cows. And they'll be nice and tender. Everything that you do, the nations will look in on you and know that I am at work making your lives better. I mean, physical blessings, straight up. He says, I'm setting before you blessings. Now be obedient to me. Walk in the way that I've commanded you to walk. Specifically, don't go worshiping the gods of Egypt. Don't go worshiping the gods of Assyria. Don't go worshiping the gods in Lebanon. Don't go worshiping these other gods. Don't do what they do. Trust me, follow me, be obedient to me because I'm a good father who has good things for you and I will bless literally everything that you do. I will protect you from your enemies. I will guard you at every step. And then he says, so choose blessings and choose life so that you and your children will live. And then he says, I'm also setting in front of you curses. That if you reject me, if you exchange me for other gods, I will scatter you among the nations. I will withhold rain from your crops. I will not bless the work of your hands. I will stand against you. Because this is a people who God gave his name to. He gave his name to them. So that when the nations looked in on Israel, they would know 
that the God of Israel is Yahweh in heaven. And so when he put his name on them and he covenanted in relationship with them, they become a representation of him. If you represent me the way that I am to the world, as loving and gracious and merciful and beautiful, man, I'm going to pour out blessing. But if you represent me to the world as not those things, I'm going to come against you. And 29 gets crazy. 29 gets crazy. I had Josh read it to me. It's super long. Uh, this afternoon. I wanted to soak in 28, 29, and 30. So Josh was reading it to me in his melodic voice. And I fell asleep for like two minutes. But you didn't know. It was just for like, a, it was just a small part. But 29 gets crazy. He says in 29, basically, you're, go, you're, you're going to take the cursing road. You're going to take the blessing road for a minute. So it, while he's laying out, here's what's in front of you. Moses kind of follows it up with, and you're only going to take the good path for a short time. You're going to take the bad path. You're going to take the cursing path. And it's going to get bad. He even has this kind of long part where he says, when Assyria comes and Babylon comes, he doesn't say them by name, but he says when your enemies come and they encamp around your city, it's going to get so bad in Jerusalem. It's going to get so bad that women, he says, women who are delicate, who wouldn't even walk outside barefooted because they're so delicate, will hide behind a house and give birth to a child and hide it and eat it because there is no food in Israel because their enemies have surrounded them. He doesn't just say they're going to eat the child. He says, you are going to hide the flesh of your children from your spouses so that you can eat your own And he goes this long thing about it. It is intense and dark and bad. Like 28 to 29 to 30 is crazy. And when Paul says this, that's what he's drawing attention to. That Israel chose the path of rejection and the enemies of Israel came and had their way with Israel. And then 30 begins with this beautiful part. And he says, if you will return to me, I will gather you back together. I will exile the enemies from your land. I will restore blessing even more than it was before. I will turn your hearts back to me. I will change everything if you return to me. And basically in that part, he says, and you will return to me. So in this command of blessing and curses, he's also giving prophecy about what will happen in their return. So then keep this in mind, okay? Keep 28, 29, and 30 in your mind. Before Jesus comes on the scene, everybody is reading Deuteronomy 30 and trying to figure out how do we get to that part because they've been in exile they've been scattered to the nations they've been under foreign rulers and they have had a curse on their land for over 500 years and so everyone everyone is like how do we get back to the blessing how do we get back to the blessing 
And so they're reading 30, and they're like, how do we get back to this? And there's several options that they come up with. There's some writings that are written before the New Testament that are not included in the Old Testament. Um, They're kind of weird and funny, weird. Um, One of them says that the way that they get back to 30 is that God is going to come and give a new piece of wisdom that shows them how to be faithful. Uh, That's in this book called Baruch. God's going to give you this new piece of wisdom that's going to show you how to be faithful. Uh, There's another book written that time that says he's going to come give a secret part of the law that they didn't know. New rules that they haven't followed yet. And that's how they're going to get to 30. Restoration, regathering, blessing. And then, this is what actually gives rise to the Pharisees. So y'all are familiar with Pharisees. When I say that term, you know what I'm saying? For the most part. The bad guys in the New Testament, basically. (laughs) They're the antagonists in the story. They're They're such an odd group of people because they're not really antagonists. The Pharisees believed that the way to get back to Deuteronomy 30 was to gather back around the law of Moses and be faithful to it. Because a lot of Jewish people during the time of Jesus and leading up to the time of Jesus had just walked away from Jewish life. They were like, this is too difficult. This is too hard. It's easier just being Greek. I get to eat pepperoni pizza. I get to eat pork. I get to do what everyone else does. Being Jewish is not great anymore. If we can just put it that way. And so there is what they call the Hellenization. It's when the Jews just start becoming more like the Greeks. And there's heavy pressure for them to do that. And so what happens then is the Pharisees come and they say, no, 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 no. We can get back to the blessing. We can get back to the blessing if we just follow the rules. If we just follow the law. If we come back and we're obedient. If we do what they didn't do back in the day that led to all this, if we just come back and follow the rules, if we are morally right before God, then we will then re- be, will be accepted by Him. We'll come back in His favor and the cursing will go away. That's what Paul is directing these lines at. That in Israel, that had become a widespread belief. That if they just get back to following the law, if they get back to following the law, then the blessings would just pour in, would just pour in. That's why he says what he says. They're ignorant of the way that God made Deuteronomy 30 happen. What Paul is saying is Deuteronomy 30 has come to fruition in the Messiah, that it wasn't you getting new wisdom or new rules or following the old rules better, that it was Messiah who came and fulfilled everything that you couldn't do and then absorbed the wrath that was due to you, absorbed the curses that were due to you. So now the only thing left for you is the blessing that I have for you in every way. Just so long as you come in and not work for it, but just believe by faith, that Jesus was the Son of God, crucified and resurrected. 
And so that phrase that he quotes, the third one, so when he says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, he's just, that's in Deuteronomy 30. That's like the, that's the heart of Deuteronomy 30. And he says, who will listen to the best? That's the heart of Deuteronomy 30. And then he comes to a quoting Deuteronomy 30 again, and he says, the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. And so Paul reinterprets Deuteronomy 30, specifically here, to say that it's faith in the Christ. Something to do with your heart and your confession of what you believe. So I'm going to read it. I'm just going to read it again. And hopefully it's a little clear, and then I want to apply it. And if it's not a lot clear when we get done reading it again, just look up and shake your head at me like this and say, no, that's not clear at all. Keeping in mind that he's not just making a point when he quotes. He wants you to know the whole story when he quotes something. So, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved, the Jewish people. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. The Pharisees, these people, they are down for God. They're down to follow the rules. I mean, like they will wear a little box on their head with scriptures in it to remind them to follow the law. Like none of you would do that. None of you would tie a ribbon with a black box on your head that says the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Like that's what they would do. They would tie it on their head. They would tithe 10% of not just their money, but of herbs they grew in their kitchen window. None of you would do that. Most of you ain't even tithing ten percent anyway. But most of you wouldn't go to your herbs and make sure you cut off ten percent of the herbs going in your kitchen window and bring that and put it in the little box. If you do, that's fine. Just give me a heads up. I'll get it out so it doesn't rot. I'll use it. But you see what I'm saying here? They were down with a zeal for God, but it was not according to the way that God had prescribed. It wasn't according to knowledge. It wasn't according to the right way. For them, it was just, let me follow the rules. Let me get new wisdom. Let me follow a new rule. Let me follow the old rules better. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, being ignorant of the way that God has reached down, become a human, absorbed all the wrath and all the cursing to restore the right relationship with Him, being ignorant of that, they try to set up their own way of doing it. And seeking to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. They didn't submit to Jesus. They didn't submit to him. They crucified him. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It's the end of trying to use Torah to get right with God. It's the end of trying to follow the rules to get right with God. It's the end of trying to clean yourself up and be moral so that God looks at you and says, A plus, you're really moral, I like you. And now when you have your quiet time, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to talk your ear off and tell you how awesome you are. He says it's the end of following the rules to get right with God. And then he says, but it's always been this way. Moses was writing about righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who is going to climb up to heaven, who is going to make it there by his own works and his own power, or who is going to go down into hell and raise the Messiah up. It's not about you doing either of those things. It's not about you achieving. He says it's about this. The word is near you. 
It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's the word of faith. It is belief in what God has done and not what you have done. That's what he's driving at in 1 to 10. And he's using this really crazy story of the life of the Jews to explain that out. That it's not based on anything you've done or will do. And that's a beautiful thing. And so, and I want to, I want to do this part rightly and quickly. Um, we, I think, are still like Pharisees and still like those other people that were waiting on wisdom and other things. I think we still often approach God, maybe not for salvation, but even a lot of us for salvation. Like there's some of you that really still in your heart think you can't come to Jesus yet because you're still not quite clean enough or quite moral enough and that you need to clean yourself up. And hopefully up to this point you've seen that's just garbage and a lie. That, I mean, that really is religion. Religion says that God's happy when you do all the right things and other wrong things. And Christ is saying you, you can't do any of the right things and you really do a lot of the wrong things and yet I'm going to take what is owed to you and I'm going to give you what is owed to me and all you have to do is trust me and follow me. Okay, but I think after that where I think a lot more of you are, I think we take our day-to-day -day relationship with the Lord not on those terms. We still kind of think God views us based on our performance. So if I could just ask, and if just some of you would be honest. How many of you feel, and we're going to say feeling this time, just for, just for funsies. How many of you feel like confident that right now, today, that God deeply loves you, cares about the little things in your life, is concerned with tomorrow. There's a deep confidence in you, in his knowledge of you, and his love for you. How many of you would say you, have a, you just have a deep confidence there? Come on now, let me see it. Okay, now I want to differentiate that from know that it's true here. Like I know God loves me every day. A lot of days, I have zero confidence that he loves me at all. I don't, like, operate from it. You know what I mean? I don't operate as if it's true. I'm like, I know you're there, yes, but I don't feel you one bit. How many of you would say the other side? That you don't feel, you say you don't feel the love of God, really. I don't know what that feels like. I feel distant from God most of the time, and I don't want to. How many of you would say that is the case? And maybe not today. Let's say that's a general feeling that comes across half the time or, or more or even a little less. How many would say that? Okay. Okay. 
Y'all raise your hand in secret too. <laughs> Nobody proud of that. Okay. <clears throat> I think, and, and maybe this is, I carry this around a ton. Um, how many of you, as you feel distant from the Lord, that your go-to to not feel distant from the Lord is like a Christian book or a podcast to learn something new that you might have missed? Or like getting into the grind and being like, now I'm going to wake up at 6.30, I'm going to make sure I have that time with the Lord, I'm going to make sure I read like the whole gospel every day. How many of you, like I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to be moral. I'm just going to be better tomorrow. Like, I know I'm going to be better tomorrow. How many of you feel that as you feel distant from God, your, your approach back to him is based on something you just need to figure out or do differently? Okay. Can, maybe throw at me, like, something that you do. Because I do this. I, I podcast. I'm like, Ben Stewart's going to change my life today. I'm gonna feel super close. You know. Just throw something at me. Read the Psalms? Okay, okay. I like reading Psalms. Okay, listen to music. Okay, prayer. Mm. That was that's what does it. Nearness to the Lord is serving my roommate. I'm gonna tell my wife that. Nearness to the Lord is going to be found in you serving me. <laughs> What's up, Michael Bailey? You got one? Right, right. True. Okay, Jesus Calling, right? That was a book that was, what was that? That's right. That's right, uh-huh. My, my old woman's got that one. Okay, tell me, and just honestly speaking, when you get done having done what you did to get back to God, let me paint one more scenario before we continue on. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The right people. Rachel, you got one? I know you're aching. Come on. <laughs> Here we go. This is what my next scenario. Yeah, come on. Right. Penance, right. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's especially true when I've like failed morally, if that makes sense. Like if I've done something um, that I just, I just know was wrong and I shouldn't have done it. Like I th this one was huge for me when I was in college because I was trying to stay pure with with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and she's hot, and it was hard. It was very, very hard. And I put myself in terrible situations all the time. And then, and then we would mess up. We'd go farther than I wanted to go, farther than I told God I would ever go again. And then that's what I do. I was penance. I would lash myself in front of God, you know, like, I just suck, God. I do. I just suck, you know? 
If I had a little whip, I would just hit myself with it because I know you like that. But in that, we see our heart. In that, we see, man, if I just do something, something's got to work that's going to restore that relationship. That's going to bring me back into his love. That's going to restore the direction that he has for my life. I think in our hearts we still are like little Pharisees. And some of us hold it up over other people's heads, but a lot of us don't. And a lot of those things you said are good. They're not bad things, right? They're, they're, they're like part of what it means to be a Christian, like this consistent time with the Lord. I mean, it really is. But there's a lot of time where we use those things that are part of intimacy in a way that has not been prescribed for intimacy. Has not been prescribed for restoration, if I can say that. And what I want you to see from here is that entrance into Christianity revolves around confession and belief. And so a lot of people early on when I was saying, like, I don't feel near to the Lord, the thing they would tell me is, well, it's not about your feelings. And I wanted to cuss them. I'm like, if you just about my feelings. <laughs> yeah. I would give them the bird. Right. I mean, straight up. I just did that in college for fun. I don't know. Um, but the thing is, is you're a human who has a ration and who has feelings. And oftentimes your feelings are great indicators of your thoughts. Your feelings don't just happen. Your feelings happen because you have thoughts. So when you have thoughts about how terrible you are, it makes you feel like crap. You don't just feel like crap. They're a part of thoughts. And they're parts of truths that you have decided to believe or reject about God or about you. So to just compartmentalize and be like, well, it's not about your feelings. Well, that's just stupid. I mean, it's not about your feelings. But your feelings are very much a part of you. And so what we really need to dig down deep into is the role of confession in belief in two big things. Restoration when you failed and just a general feeling of distance before the Lord and how you approach. Especially when you go to read or pray. Because a lot of times we pray, God, I don't feel you. Will you help me feel you? which is just a dumb prayer. But even though it's, it is about your, it is or it isn't, your feelings are sort of at the end of the train a little bit, if I can explain it this way. In the same way that entrance is about confession with your mouth and believing in your heart, when I failed morally with Lauren when I was in college, God is not looking for penance. He's not looking to, for me to feel like crap. He's not looking for me to wait in isolation from him until he says, okay, you can feel me again. My role in this is to say, Father, I believe that the blood of Jesus has covered my sin from when I was 18 years old to yesterday. And I believe that I stand in front of you 
cleansed by His blood, and not my own works, not my own righteousness, not my own penance, not my own guilt, but because I have decided to believe in my heart that the work of Jesus was true, even though I don't feel near to you at all right now, I've decided to believe that this is true, and I'm confessing it to you verbally that this is true, even though I feel so far from you right now. So the path back to Him is deciding to believe what you've decided to believe, verbally confessing it, not just we pray too much in our heads and not enough out loud. Verbally, Father, I believe the blood of Jesus covers all my sin. And Father, I believe I'm clean in your sight because of what you've done and not because of what I've done. And so what I did yesterday doesn't change you and me. It changes you and me when I receive the guilt and the condemnation and then go whip myself in the corner until I feel like he's happy with me again. Confession and belief are the, the way of the kingdom of God. They're the way in and they're the way of life inside his kingdom. And so when you've fallen in any way whatsoever, the answer is always confession and belief. It's exactly what he's talking about here. Except here he's referring to entrance in. And what I'm saying is it's sustainment throughout. It's not now that you're in, okay, follow the rules better and I'll like you a little more. And even in these places where you're not like completely fallen away, you just feel a sense of distance drawing near to him and saying again, Father, I'm going to worship you this morning because you're worthy of it. Father, I believe that you have drawn near to me by the blood of Jesus and nothing changes my proximity to you whatsoever. And I'm going to move forward today as if you love me, as if you are behind me, as if you are leading, as if your spirit has actually been given to me for the advance of your kingdom, for my good, for the sealing of me inside of your kingdom. And what you are going to see is that as you confess with your mouth and believe what you've decided to believe, your feelings come along. A lot of times it takes a while. Because part of what the Lord is teaching us as His children is steadfastness and faithfulness. And we want an easy time and he is training us in steadfastness. And so part of steadfastness is, Father, I've decided to believe this and I don't feel it. My feelings are important. They're a part of who I am, but they don't govern what I believe. They are not the barometer of what I believe. They're just telling me how I feel. So they're important. But they're not everything. And the more we move into God based on what we've decided to believe and confess that to Him, the more you're going to see stability and steadfastness in your day-to-day -day walk that isn't dependent on the mood you woke up in and the feelings that are a product of thoughts that you've decided to let linger too long. Like your own unworthiness. Meet your own unworthiness with the fact that you've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus something you've decided to believe and confess verbally when oftentimes you don't feel it so much. It's not a pill that you take that makes everything better. It's just the way that we walk if we're going to be faithful.
and be driven by what has been prescribed to us. Belief in my heart, confession with my mouth. In the work of Jesus and what he's done. Okay. 8.30, not bad. I want to pray. You doing another song? Okay. I'm going to pray. Josh is going to lead another song. If you want to pray, we always got people up here. Praying's good. Confessing verbally is so much easier when there's another person present. Praying out loud is much easier when there's another person there. Praying out loud by yourself, it gets weird. But praying aloud with another person is actually quite helpful. So take advantage of that. They want to pray for you.